0: Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we do come to you, Lord. We thank you, God, for the opportunity that we have to open up your word, to study it. And Lord, as we look at the, the things facing this group of people, Lord, this thing that we call the church at Galatia, and God, all they are are a bunch of people who gave their hearts to you, who are struggling trying to figure things out, trying to walk through life and things are coming at him, people are coming at him, and now Paul's trying to correct some of that, Lord, and and it's exactly what we go through now. We have this letter that we read because, Lord, we need your help. So I pray today as we look at this that we would make it personal, that we would understand, God, that you loving them is no different than right now, today, you loving us. And so, Lord, no matter where we're at in our walk with you, maybe we're new, maybe we've been walking with you for a long time, maybe we're dry, maybe we're tired, maybe things are going on physically or emotionally in our lives, I know that, God, your word has the answer for anything that's happening to us. So, God, open up our hearts today to receive. Make us like that group of people there in Galatia, that, that Lord, that we're hungry for you. And I pray that you would bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. I kind of have a question maybe to start with here uh, today. and, And as we look at this, especially as we look at this passage and go through this, I want you to think about this. Where are you today in your walk with the Lord? Are you going forward? Are you growing? Are you changing or are you kind of drifting back into, you know, that place of legalism and sometimes it feels safe because we feel like we have more control and we're not walking by faith? That's the question, so where are you? And as we walk through this, I, I want us to think about it because this church was kind of messed up. It was a group of people that were, hey, they were getting messed up by false teachers, they were believing them, they were walking in them, and I feel like they were following, following in or falling into that, that safe place. You see, it's a lot easier to walk by sight than it is by faith. It's a lot easier to grab a hold of things that we think we have control of than trusting God to take care of things in our lives, and so that's where they were at, and Paul, Paul's a little bit freaked out. As I read this, I kind of I get the, the idea that he is wishing he could be there. He's going to say that. And he's wanting to see them face to face to talk to them. Because he knows, listen, he knows it's a desperate time for them and they're struggling. So Paul is going to get, he's finally changing from maybe being this theological lecturer, so to speak, to now he's gonna get really personal. And let's just talk about our relationship and who we are together. And then also he's gonna paint us a picture that, you know, it's often said, right, a picture's worth a thousand words. So Paul's gonna paint a picture using an Old Testament passage to teach us something about what was going on in their lives. So now as we think about this, let's look at verse 12. Paul says to them, and remember, he's come out of that time where he's asked them, why are you, you know, honoring days and months and seasons, and why are you doing those things? And then after that, he says in verse 12, Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that, I became, that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. So listen, man, now he's appealing to them. And here's what he's saying. I became like you. In other words, listen, when Paul came into a town and into minister to people, he didn't have, you know, his badge on, you know, Reverend Paul showing up. He came as one of them and he wanted to relate to them, and he wanted to relate to them where they're at. And he says that, right? And in in Corinthians, he says, man, I became all things to all men, that I might win some. So Paul is willing to to stretch himself and be there, but here's what he says too, he says, but I want you to become like me, not in the sense of, of what I'm doing, in the sense of my following Christ. And he has that desire for them and, and, and wanting them to do that. And then, and then he tells us, listen man, it was because of something physical that I showed up for homework. You can read Acts chapter 13. Well, you might read 12, 13, and 14, kind of getting the whole context. But especially chapter 13, it seems like something happened physically to Paul to cause him to show up at Galatia. And he even says it here, it was some physical thing and evidently, it was some physical thing that was a bit repulsive because he says, you didn't reject me. You didn't despise me. The wording in the original is like this. You didn't, you didn't put me out and you didn't spit on me. It's always good when people don't spit on you. You know, and, and, and it's kind of that way. So, so listen, there was something physically going on and something visually that you would look at that would repulse you for the reason Paul was there. And he goes, you guys didn't look at any of that. You accepted me. You even accepted me like you would accept an angel or even Jesus himself. You kind of get the idea of how close they were when Paul visited them. And here's what he's saying, man. Where did that go? What happened? We had that together. We were close. And he goes even further, look at verse 15. He says, what then or where then is that blessing that you enjoyed? Here's what he's asking him. What happened to that part that we enjoyed together? You received the blessing of being saved. Even we sing about it today, right? Being redeemed. What happened? You're not joyful about that anymore. You, you, you lost everything. Now you're one of those people and, and I call them people who get baptized in lemon juice. And you go around, you have a frown all the time, you're angry, you're bitter, you don't want to talk to people, and then you go and tell somebody, would you like to accept Jesus? They're going, oh, no, no. (laughs) Listen, and he's saying, what what happened to that blessing that we had together? Remember, and, and you know, for some of us, it does us good. We need to go back and remember when we got saved. Remember what happened, but here's my prayer that we wouldn't have to just go to that, but we would remember last week when God did something. We would be looking forward in the future to what God is gonna do in our lives and as if we walk with him. But these guys have turned into these legalists, and legalists end up kind of being dead people and grumpy people. So again, verse 15 in the, in the New King James says, what then was the blessing you enjoyed? And again, it's better to say, where then is that blessing? For he says, for I bear... We- I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Now between 14 and 15, people spend a ton of time trying to figure out what was wrong with Paul. I don't really care. I mean, I love the guy. But I wasn't, there. it's not crucial to us understanding what's going on either in Acts 13 or in Galatians, in in, uh, Galatians uh, 14 and 15, and yet they go on and on. Well, do you think he had some kind of eye disease? Well, maybe he had this. Well, maybe he had malaria, he got malaria real bad and then it affected his body and then he went up north and he's trying to recover from it. And I'm thinking, that's not the point. The point is, yeah, he did go there with some kind of infirmity. We know that. And then he says, you would have even plucked out your own eyes. Could have that just been a saying that they had? Like sometimes we will say, man, I would give him my right arm if I could. That doesn't mean that the right arm's bad. It means we care that deeply for them, right? So, hey, he could have had eye disease, but again, I don't care. And I know some of you are going, but at the end of the letter, he says, look what large letters I use. Again, I don't think that, so what? He goes, listen, listen to the heart. You guys love me so much. There was nothing that you would stop at to help me and to be with me when I was there. Now you kinda get what's going on. You didn't reject me, you didn't spit on me. As a matter of fact, you accepted me and you accepted me so well that you would give anything for me. And then verse 16 is kinda the heavy one. Have Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Oh. Sometimes when we tell people the truth, the truth hurts and all of a sudden they're mad at us and all we did was tell them the truth there are some times where people get mad at me here teaching from the up front here and they'll go why did you say that about me and i go i didn't say that about you And they go, yes, you did. And, you know, then I have to be really honest, and more truth comes out, is I don't even know you. (laughs) I mean, you guys guys all know me, and people, you know, people know me because they see me, and they think that because they know me, I know them. I don't know a lot of your names because you never tell me your name. You just go out and say, hi, bye, Pastor Pat, and that's it, you don't, you don't like say, hey, my name, by the way, my name is so-and-so, and et cetera. And hey, there's a few people, now, now I know everybody's gonna go out and give me their name and God bless you all, that's fine. Just do it a whole bunch of times and eventually I'll get it. But listen, listen, I don't, I don't have cameras in your home. I don't use Alexa to listen to what you're doing and figure out what's going on so I can talk about you from up front, I don't know what's going you know why that got to you so deeply? There's this person called the Holy Spirit and he knows exactly what you need and he knows exactly what you need to hear. So listen, why do you hate me because I gave you the truth? Paul's saying why, why does that happen? And then there are times where you're communicating with somebody where you have to give them the truth. Hey it's your obligation. To give somebody the truth. If somebody's, the old analogy, if somebody's house is on fire and they don't know it and they're about to get burned up, wouldn't it be your obligation to say, hey, your house is on fire, get out. Or when doctors find something wrong with us and it could be deadly, isn't it their obligation to say, here's what's wrong with you, So yeah, the same thing spiritually. So Paul's saying, what happened? He's sitting there, here's what he's telling them. You guys were doing so good. And then these legalists came in, these Judaizers came in. And now they're trying to get you to go backwards instead of forwards. And they're trying to get you to follow certain rituals and and certain things. And it's killing you. It's destroying you. So Paul's heart is why, why did we end up there? And then he explains these people, look at verse 17. They zealously court you, but for no good. They want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in good things always, and not only when I am present with you. Here's what he's saying, he's he's drawn a, 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 a contrast. Zeal can be good. But these guys are zealous for you. They want to grab you and they want to get you and they want to exclude you. Have you ever noticed legalistic, even legalistic believers and especially cults, they always want to separate you from everybody else. They want to exclude you. They want to get you alone. If they can just get you alone, man, they can start working. And you know, I kind of enjoy it when I, sometimes I'm traveling and, and someone won't know me. Uh, last time I was in Israel, I was sitting, having coffee. Gainel was shopping and, and I was having a coffee and, and there were these ladies and, and I was just kind of observing them and I thought, eh, they're up to something. And sure enough, they came over because I was alone. And they go, here, we have something for you to read. Yeah, they handed me the watchtower. (laughs) I go, oh, God bless you, would you like to sit down? (laughs) Because I wanted to have a discussion with them, right? And we can talk. But they want to, listen, they want to exclude you, and they want to get you to that place so that they can win you for them. And when they get you, listen, when they get you, they want you to be zealous for the cause and they don't really care about you anymore. As a person, they care about you as a tool. Years ago, I've shared this before. Years ago, before I got saved, a lady had been witnessing to my wife and I who, who uh, we were kind of all involved in, in pottery together. And I had done some work for her and did things for her. And we ended up, we were at a street fair up in, in uh, Phoenix, the Mill Avenue street fair. And, and we were up there and, and uh, there was this, crazy, legalistic, well, we'll just leave it at that, church going by and they were loud and they were obnoxious and rude and doing things and I was sitting on the curb kind of thinking and I gotta be honest, here's what I was thinking, yeah, that's Christians for you, that's the way they act. And it bothers me that those people give us that name but anyway, I'm sitting there judging all Christians by what they were doing and then this guy comes over and starts sharing with me one on one I looked at him and I said, I really don't want to hear what you have to say. I don't care what you say, leave me alone. And he kept going. And I said, please, just stop. I do not wanna listen to you. I don't care about anything you say, I'm not gonna listen, you know, just stop. And he kept going. I turned my back on him so he would stop. He still kept going. And I said, look, just stop. And here's what he said do you really think I want to do this? I hate doing this but the church makes me do this. I have to do this to be part of this church. And Now he's pouring out his heart to me about what he has to do. And hey, this is exactly what Paul's talking about, right? They're zealous for you, so you will be zealous for them. And he went on and on how he had to do it. And then I finally said, look, just go. Just go with your group. Just, I'm sorry that you're in that position, you know, but just go. And uh, he left. And then then I have to tell the rest of the story because this is really great. I'm sitting there just like mad at Christians in general and the lady who had been sharing with us came over and you talk about someone redeeming the moment she came over and she goes hey Pat that guy was pretty obnoxious huh and I go oh totally and I thought I thought no, she's coming around <laughs> and I said yeah I said he was he was gross and she said but isn't it interesting out of all the thousands of people on this street he picked you to talk to <laughs> and she turned around and walked away yeah, see, that happened 30-plus years ago. It's still vivid in my mind. God can use those things. But anyway, back to this. Hey, they want to get you zealous for them, and they want you to do their cause. But then he says, listen, zeal is good in 18. Zeal can be good when it's used for good. But here's what I love. But he says, not only when I am present with you. Here's the thing, man. Paul knows that when he's around, people act differently. One of the bummers of being a pastor is people act differently around you because you're the pastor. And they, you know, and, and they, they, well, the pastor's here. We have to act this way. And, and, you know, that's sort of a drag. I want to see people in their natural environment. You know, I kind of, kind of wished I could be like at the zoo and watching the, the people and say, oh, well, now I'm observing you, how you really are. But here's what he's saying, man, don't just be zealous when I'm with you. If you have zeal, that's good, but if it's only a show for me, stop it. Now, listen, now Paul is going to get a little bit more personal with them, but he's also, I think, Does your Bible have a a, a headline and stuff between verse 20 and 21 and kind of a big space? Mine's got a big space like we're starting something completely new. That's a drag, man. That bothers me because I think 19, 20, 21 definitely go together and they flow into 22. And it kind of bothers me when Bibles do that. And, you know, I I think it's good. I, I... often will challenge people find a bible that's just written in paragraph form that doesn't have anything it'll still have the verses because you have to find your way around but then you kind of get a flow of what's going on so paul listen number one it's personal but then he goes into what he wants to use to show him what he's talking about but verse 19 he says my little children for whom i labor he's using that word that's talking about a child not just a, a child that's dependent somebody that you love and you care for He's using that term about them. And he says, my little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Do you hear what he's saying? I want to see you grow up. I want to see Christ in you. I want to see you change. And then he says, "I I would like to be present with you now and change my tone for I have doubts about you. Tell me you who desire to be under the law. Do you not hear the law? Listen to what he's saying, man. I want to be there because writing this, I think all of us know, or at least we should know, when somebody writes you something, it can be way misunderstood because you don't have, you don't have their facial expressions. You don't have any of that. You just have it written. And he's saying, man, I know I'm writing this, but is my heart coming across? Well, we try to communicate that, but that doesn't always work. Years ago, I remember one time I was on a, on a trip and, and we were doing some ministry in Germany and something happened here at the church and one of the people involved wrote me an email and then I replied to that email thinking it was okay and I just threw gas on the fire. And so then they fired another email back at me, pretty angry, and so I had to write them and say, I'm not doing this by email because it's not working. So just, you know, simmer till I get there. Don't explode, just simmer till I get there and we'll try and think things out. And that's what Paul's saying, man. I want to see you face to face because you're like my kids. Isn't it interesting, our kids, when they're young, they're a handful. When they're adults, they're a heartful, aren't they? We carry them in our hearts and care for them. And that's what Paul's saying, man. I just care for you guys. And I wished I could be there. And then he says, you guys who want to be under the law, here's what I love. You want to be under the law? Have you really heard what the law is all about? Have you paid attention to it? Oh, here's what I know, man. People can come in and they can act so spiritual and they can tell you things. And, and hey, you're, I think all of us, I think, well, not all, the majority of us want to grow in our, our relationship with Jesus. We wanna grow, we wanna mature, we wanna see God do things. And sometimes people can come in and they're so spiritual, they have this air about them. And they begin to tell you things and you begin to realize, man, I am not even close to that. And you begin to judge yourself. And then all of a sudden they put you under the law. Well, you know, you could be like me. All you have to do is read 640 verses a day and pray four hours a day and go visit the sick and give all your money to the poor. And you start doing those things and we think that's Christianity. Listen, that's not Christianity, that's legalism. And they come in and he says, he says, hey, you who want to be under the law, he goes, man, he goes, do you hear the law? Hey, for homework, along with Acts chapter 13, check out, check out Exodus 19 and 20, when the law was given. Here's what I love. He's kind of saying, hear the law. Read when the law was given. Man, that was a pretty spectacular event, Right? When God spoke on that mountain, there was fire, there was lightning, there was earthquakes. I mean, it was intense. And he goes, that's what I want you to go hear. Because you know what? To me, all of that stuff's scary. I want to experience the love of God, the care of God. I want to experience the peace of God. I wanna have that peace that surpasses all understanding. I wanna walk through the trials of my life with a peace in my heart, knowing that I can make it through this trial because I have Jesus. And he says, hey, you who wanna be under the law, he goes, have you heard the law? Now, listen, verse 22 starts something and we're gonna discuss it for a minute. He says, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman, and the other by the free woman. So from here on, Paul is gonna do something that is not always beneficial to do, but it's okay for Paul to do it because he's inspired of God by the Holy Spirit to do what he's doing. He's gonna allegorize some chapters out of Genesis. And for someone like me, man, that's like, what are you doing? Because allegorizing things or spiritualizing things or using euphemisms, whatever term, it kills me. I'll tell people you shouldn't allegorize. They go, okay, well, it's a euphemism. Seriously? Like, I think they mean the same thing. Well, it's a symbol. Okay, let's just keep going. Use as many different words as you can to say the same thing. And you're, hey, it is dangerous. Listen carefully. It is dangerous to do that. When you begin to do that, and you begin to tell people, when you read this, it doesn't really mean what you're reading, what it really means, and you begin to explain it. This is a symbol of that, this is a symbol of that, and then you begin to put it together. Listen carefully. When someone does that to you, who becomes the authority? The Word of God or that person? That person. Because you need them and their decoder stuff to figure out what you're reading saints you do not need a decoder ring you do not need all of those things here's what you need eyes to read and a brain to think now listen i think we should use proper hermeneutics that's a big word for principles of biblical interpretation and i say proper because of this everybody in here has a hermeneutic some of your hermeneutics stink some of them are good but you have one and generally speaking. We need to come to Scripture and, hey, we're all going to interpret what we read because that's how we understand it. And to use a proper, what I say, a proper hermeneutic, I believe emphatically that you need to take what you read and you need to understand it literally, grammatically, and historically. If you've been with me any kind of time, you know that I'm stuck on that. You need to do that. We've done the inductive Bible study talking about that. Our hermeneutics class is right now going on in School of Ministry. We just had a long discussion. I went over and did a QA and a with them going through that. But listen, you got to stick to those if you really want to understand the Bible. Now, it's important to have all three. You can't just pick and choose. When we say literal, some people go, oh, then you're telling me that Jesus is a door. No, that's where grammar comes in. He's using figures of speech to explain who he is. God's not a chicken, Jesus isn't a door, he's not a pavement, etc. He's using and it's obvious when you use grammar. So, literal, historical, who's he writing to, who's a, what's the first intent of the author, and then grammatical. You do that, here's what's going to happen. You're going to understand your Bible. I wished this is a side note just for this service. I hardly ever give you guys bonus because you're the nine o'clock service. So this is your bonus. I wish that people running our country would read the Constitution that way and interpret it that way. You know what? Our country wouldn't be the mess it's in now. If they would interpret it literally, dramatically, and historically, things would, the, the, we would know what was meant. Anyway, so back to this. The Constitution's important, but this is way more important. So start to do that. So yes, Paul is going to allegorize something. And sometimes, I have to be honest, I'm reading Galatians, and I get to this part, and I go, don't do it, Paul. But he's being led by the Spirit. And that's what people tell me. Oh, so I can allegorize if I'm led by the Spirit? No. Listen, do not do it. You will get lost in a muddle of stuff there is one guy that allegorizes man and he symbolizes everything. If you ever read his commentary on, 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 on Exodus, you will, your mind will be blown. Every little detail of the tabernacle means something. The thread that they use is a symbol for blah, 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 and I go <laughs> So Paul is going to use this to paint a picture Now, I said all of that, so it's okay for Paul to do it. One more thing. There are Bible scholars who say, see, Paul is telling us that that's just an allegory back in Genesis, it's not an actual event. That is not true. It was an actual event. For homework, if you haven't been doing your Bible reading and you haven't been keeping up, get back into Genesis and read 12 through 21. That gives us a scenario of what's going on. Now, I'm gonna give you a quick outline of 12 through 21, but I'm gonna do it a little bit different. I'm gonna do it by Abraham's age so we kind of get a a little bit of a picture and and what's happening. Starting in chapter 12, Abraham is called. He's 75 years old. He's called out of Chaldeans to go to Canaan, and he does it. At 75, he starts that journey. At 75, he's told he's gonna be a great nation. All of these things are gonna happen. Now listen listen carefully 75 in that day was not a whole lot different than 75 is today because people go well that was in the olden days of course it would be okay to tell a guy 75 he was going to have kids really read your bible he didn't think you when god told him he's going to have kids he's going "Eh." did you check my birth certificate lord because i'm like 75 years old and Sarah's 65 she's 10 years behind him so anyway, so he's told that, that's, in, that's as he's 75 at 86. So he goes to the land of Canaan, things happen. He goes down to Egypt, remember, hangs out in Egypt, says, this is my sister. Pharaoh finds out it's not. Pharaoh gives him all kinds of stuff. He gives him donkeys and gold and food and slaves. One of those slaves names Hagar. So they come back and Abraham and Sarah are hanging out. He's 86 years old. Here's what Sarah says to him. This is Pat's translation. Dude, you're old. (laughs) And I'm old. And this is not going to happen. I know what God promised, but this is not going to happen. So here's what you need to do. You need to have a child with Hagar. The first maybe case of surrogacy, right? You need to have a child with Hagar. We'll call him the promise and you will take care of it that way. So at 86... He has a child with Hagar. His name's Ishmael. And they think everything's okay until he turns. The next event is when he's 99, 13 years later. He's 99, God shows up and he goes, hey Abe, how's it going? And God says, hey, it's pretty good, I got a kid. And the Lord says, that's not the son of the promise. I made you a promise. And I told you you would have a son with Sarah. So guess what? You're gonna have a son with Sarah. That's, again, my translation, right? Read it, it's great. And so, so, they have a son. At 103, when that son is being weaned, they would celebrate in their culture the weaning of a child. And as he's being weaned, Ishmael, who is now 17, Makes fun of that kid and hassles him. And Sarah comes undone. Mama Bear got mad. And here's what she said You get rid of that woman, and you get rid of that boy, and you get him out of our house. Now, when I read that, I get heartbroken for Hagar and Ishmael. And even Abraham turns to God and he goes, Do what Sarah said. Send them away. Send them away to never come back. They're never to be part of your family again. So that's the story. That's what happens. That's a reality that really took place. Now, Paul is going to take that and he's going to say, let's look at that in the condition that you Galatians are in right now and let's kind of apply that in allegorize it a little bit use some symbols from that for our lives so i'm not going to spend a lot of time on the details because i think it's kind of self-speaking and it's late so back to or back to uh, back to twenty two, and it will flow into it. He says, "For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman, the other by the free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the uh, of the free woman was the promise." Remember, we just talked about that. Whenever you work God's plan out in the flesh, you're going to have problems. You're going to have issues. Things are going to happen and they're not going to be good. That's what happened. You worked it out. And when he says he's the the son of the flesh, he doesn't mean flesh and blood. He means of the workings, your own workings, and not following and trusting God. So he's the son. And then you have the promise. You have the son of the promise, which, verse 24, which things are symbolic. Now he's going to give us a symbolism. these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, is Hagar, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the Jerusalem which now is and is in bondage with her children. So here's what he's saying think about it. She was a slave, and she will always be a slave because she was born a slave in their culture that's what's going on her son is a slave it's talking about bondage and all of that represents you going into bondage which he says represents the law given at mount sinai and he says you guys need to think about it and then he goes a little bit further and he goes that's jerusalem today remember he's writing to people who are away from there who are in asia minor these galatian churches he goes that's what's going on in jerusalem right now And then he says, here's what I love, verse 26, but the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of all, of us all. Now, here's what I think, even just reading it, he takes a long time to explain the bondage and then he goes really quick into the Jerusalem above is free, which is of us all. Which one do you want? Now, doesn't that sound much more pleasant? I'm voting for free. I don't want to be in bondage. And I think it's like a no-brainer. And then, then he gives this quote that's a little bit, a little bit tough. In verse 27, he quotes Isaiah 54 and he says, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now, Isaiah 54 is written to the people of Israel who are in Babylon and in captivity. And, and now he's taken that and he's applied it to Sarah. And how much better it is for Sarah. And here's, what, here's my interpretation. It's so much better to wait for God. It's harder to wait for God. It's harder to rely on him. It's harder to believe that he's going to do something that seems impossible. That seems it's never going to happen. And here's the thing, man. If God has ever shown you something and you've waited on him you know the agony of waiting, but if you have waited, you also know the joy of having that fulfilled. I think in my own life, just waiting and, and on things that God has put in front of me and watching him fulfill them. And hey, it, for me especially, I have no patience. It's agonizing to wait. But he's saying, hey, you wait. Now, verse 28, now we, brethren... Our, our uh, we brethren, as Isaac was, are children of the promise. Woo! is that get good? Hey, remember, he's talked about the promise before that Jesus was the seed promise, and he says, "But as he who was born according to the flesh, again that one who worked in man's own ideas and man's ways of him who was born of the flesh, then." persecuted him who was born according to the spirit even so it is now now listen he's bringing it home here's what he's saying Isaac persecute I'm sorry Ishmael persecuted Isaac when he was a little guy and he goes you know what that's going on right now right in your presence saints our greatest enemy is not the world it's false teaching Religious people hate born-again people because we're happy. We have joy and they're miserable and they don't like us and they're going to persecute us. They're going to, hey, check it out. Look at church history. Look at even today. Who are the people that give you the most flack? Think about the people that give you the most flack. I think the world, the world just goes like this. <laughs> I ain't even listening to you. But the religious people, oh, you got it wrong, dude. You need to read blah, 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 blah. You need to go on this YouTube. You need to look at this. You need to do this. And you need to do that. And I say, no, I don't. So listen, man, he says, just like that. And then he says, this gets kind of heavy, verse 30. We finally can kind of understand what goes on in Genesis chapter 21. He says, nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Here's what he says. Why did God separate them? Because I have to be honest. I even taught this one time at a conference and and thinking about how horrible to send Hagar and Ishmael out and just say, go, get out of here. But if you don't do that, you're going to have struggles and fights your entire Christian life. You see, we have this thing called the flesh that we have to battle against. And our flesh wants to do things legalistically. It wants to draw us in that way. And we have to battle. Later on in Galatians, he's going to say the flesh battles against the spirit, and the spirit battles against the flesh. That's a fact. But if you don't cast out the bondwoman and her son, oh, you're probably going to lose the battle. You're going to get mulled over. And you need to understand, listen, it's not God being mean. It's not God not caring. It's God caring deeply for us, saying, you need to take care of this in your life. And so, saints, all of us have a little bit of Hagar and Ishmael in here. And we need to fight it. And the best way to fight it, number one, is to be aware of it. And quit saying, not me, because yes, you. And fight it and be aware of it and come against it. Now, wrapping this up, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, I did some kind of some comparisons and and I'm gonna use the term live church and dead church to represent a church that's walking in grace and a church that's all legalistic. Because I came out of the legalistic thing, so I, I you know, I kinda of have I, I kinda of feel this is very accurate. But I want I wanna compare and I want us to think about it and even think about, you know things that we're involved in so he says so I say live churches are constantly changing dead churches don't have to live churches have lots of noisy people thank you someone wanted to say amen but they got scared hey I love that man it was a hey Okay, thank you. (laughs) So anyway, live churches have lots of noisy people. Dead churches are really quiet. Live churches are constantly improving for the future. Dead churches worship their past. Live churches move out by faith. Dead churches operate totally by human sight. Live churches focus on people. Dead churches focus on programs. Live churches are filled with givers. Dead churches are filled with tippers. Live churches dream great dreams of God, dead churches relive nightmares. Live churches don't have can't in their dictionary, dead churches have nothing but can't. Live churches evangelize, dead churches fossilize. <laughs> Think about that in your life. Now listen, I don't want you, I don't want you leaving here today and you know, going around like and and like getting on other people and other people's churches. I want you to kind of compare those to your hearts. Is your heart a little noisy or is it just super quiet? Are you getting hard hardening of the arteries spiritually? Getting a little fossilized, hard to move? Or man, are you excited about what's going on? So, hey, here's what Paul's saying ultimately. When you become legalistic, you get stuck in these ruts. And you don't get out of the rut, and you think you have it completely together. Someone used this analogy. They were driving down an icy road out of the mountains, and the lead car that was in front of everybody was being really cool till he hit really bad ice and went burr, 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 and went in the ditch. And when he landed in the ditch, he was facing the other way, like he was facing towards them. That's what some of us do with our Christian life. We get in the ditch and we're facing the wrong way. Saints, Let's be children of the promise, and let's remember whose we are. Let's stand up and pray. Father, I do thank you for the challenge in your word, and, and I thank you, God, that as we, as we read this, and, and Lord, even, even as we might just stop and meditate on it, God, work in our hearts. I think something that dead churches kind of do is they're going around trying to fix everybody. Live churches, and they're just welcome everybody. So, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't use what we've heard today to hammer somebody, but we would use what we heard today to hammer the hardness in our own lives and hearts. And we would break down those barriers and anything that might come between us and you, Lord. Thank you, God, for this church that kind of started messing up early on. And we could have this letter to read to correct our course, to get us out of that ditch and turn back around going the right way for you, God, that we could honor you and represent you and i'm going to ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer for a couple more minutes and if you are here today and then you've never asked god you've never let god know number one that you know you're a sinner and that you're sorry for your sin and you've never asked him specifically for you for him to forgive your sins today is the day to do it you're not here by mistake and you know what i don't care if you've come to this church for you know 25 years If you know you need to do it, you need to do it. Call on the name of the Lord, the Bible says, and you will be saved. And by that, number one, you gotta admit to him that you know you're a sinner. Not so that God knows, you need to know you know you're a sinner. You need to be sorry for your sin, and then you need to ask him forgiveness. The bad news, your sin cost you everything. The good news is Jesus Christ paid everything, and now he offers you that receipt. He's holding it out to you, so accept it today. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You can say it out loud. You can say it silently. If you're watching online, hey, just join in. If God is calling you, you can pray from there. If you're backslidden, join in. Come home. Come back to Jesus. He loves you and he wants you home. So you can say it out loud. You can say it silently. Volume doesn't matter. What matters is the sincerity of your heart. You need to be sincere. Jesus Today, I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you. And today, I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you for your forgiveness. And right now, I'm asking you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, I want you to come into my life and guide me. Today, I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior.